Kia ora, and welcome to the Story Hub podcast, helping you live smarter and be inspired by the journeys of successful Kiwi professionals, where we believe you can learn from others' mistakes and achievements, and that what is possible for your life is greater than you currently imagine. My name is Kate, your host and creator of the Story Hub. Imagine this. You apply for a job to move to the UK, and after interviewing well, completing all the testing, you get a call from the manager looking to hire you. Unfortunately, they tell you that even though you smashed the interview, you failed the psychometric test. You answered only two out of 11 questions correctly. Unfortunately, you do not get the job. But instead of taking no for an answer, you challenge the manager and explain that you feel the role you're going for needs someone who thinks differently than what the psychometric tests account for. The manager listens, thinks, then proceeds to hire you on the spot. You are now moving to the UK. That is exactly what Renee Smart did, today's guest in the Story Hub. Renee is certainly no ordinary person, a strategy consultant turned entrepreneur with her husband. Renee's super honest as we talk about her personal growth journey around self-awareness. We delve deep into the development of soft skills and hear multiple extremely tough situations, including the one above and how she came out a better person. We have a special moment where Renee shares about how she navigated her career in being a mum. This is a rich conversation that we jump right into, and I'm sure there's going to be heaps of practical tips that you guys are able to take away and implement in your own lives. Well, the conversation when we were testing the audio was just too good not to throw in there, so we just jumped right in. I hope you are ready to learn. Let's jump into episode six of the Story Hub. You've got to remember, though, you're already 20, 25 years ahead of me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You guys are learning this stuff now and way more self-aware now mm. at your age, whereas my generation, we waited another 20 years. It's like, imagine what we could have done in that 20 years <laughs> if we'd known what we know now, you know? Yeah. Mm. Was it just not taught or like? I don't know. I, the world's changed a lot, right? So when... When I went to uni, I went to uni because I was expected to go to uni. I didn't even know there was another choice. I didn't know people did gap years. I didn't know. I just didn't know that stuff. Yeah. I was a good student who was going to get a good job, who was going to have a nice life, and uni was the path to go there. Hmm. So the options that I know now or that you know mm. are available, I just didn't know that. It was just that was what you did. So a lot of it you're just doing because – you're expected to do that, yeah. not because you necessarily wanted to. It wasn't that I didn't want to. I mm. just didn't know that there wasn't another option. So it was kind of go, do the papers, pass the papers, have a degree, get a job. Mm. Mm. It is that thing. like Because it seems, I forget, I think, sometimes those motivational speakers that come out like, here's your life, we're going to get a job and just retire or something. And then like, I forget that that thing's new. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, as it was more of, yeah. Yeah. Of, it was just the expected, I guess. It was just the expected. I, um, you know, I never thought I'd own a business. I was going to always be a professional. I wanted a professional career. Consulting really appealed to me because that ticked a whole lot of boxes for me mm. around my professional career. But I never realized that until I got to uni. I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm. Um, you know, you went to uni to be a lawyer or an accountant or a you know, engineer or a, like, you went to get, a specific type of job mm. um 
And then when you get there, you realize that, like, well, there's quite a lot of different jobs. What am I going to be? And it, it was still very career focused. It wasn't about what kind of human you were going to be. It was what kind of technician you were going to be in a work mm. world. Um, and as I got through my my uni experience, that started changing a little bit. And that was, you know, about me as well as about what I was learning. But I think now things are quite different. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot more focus on what kind of human you want to be and what kind of impact you want to have and what your real driving purpose is and your career supports that rather than your career defining you, which for me, starting out, mm. your career kind of defined you. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It is. It's so, it's, it's sad in some ways, but it's cool in others. Like, because I think obviously you've had awesome like, yeah. oh, journey yes. and it's crazy. And it's like. I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change anything. Mm. I love my journey and I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. But it's different to what you see now. Mm. And so you can't, you can't template that and put that across on someone else because the world's changed, right? Mm. So there are some things that I sit there and I think, oh, if only I'd learned that or if only I'd known that. And most of that stuff is around communication and soft skills, human behavior, um, being able to read people a little bit better. You know, if I'd nailed those skills a bit earlier, I'm like, wow, <laughs> imagine what else we could have done. <laughs> mm. Mm, I think you're right. It's that, mm. And that's what we're here for, right? It's like. We could go and give a whole lot of or like prescriptive answers, but it's just, mm. it is not the same. No. But to say there's no gold is foolish. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. There's absolutely some awesome stuff yeah. on the way. For like growing up for you, did you have any siblings mm -hmm. in the family? Yeah. Yep. So um, I grew up, I've got a younger brother, so he's two and a half years younger than me. And then I have got a younger sister who's 12 years younger than me. So there's a bit of a gap there. Yeah. Um, so growing up, we kind of, my brother and I, um, well, it's like any other brother, sister relationship, you know, um, I picked on him mercilessly, but if anyone else picked on them, I was not happy about that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was really good. And then my little sister came along and that was different cause I was almost a teenager by the time yeah. she was born. Um, so our relationship is different, but but really, really cool. And we're very similar in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool seeing her, her grow up. Mm. Mm. For sure. And then, like, was it in Hamilton or? So we grew up in a town called Tupuki over by Taronga. Yeah. Yep. Um, so as little kids, we lived there. And then we moved to Taupo. So I um, went through my sort of the back end of my high school years in Taupo. Mm. Um, and my parents and my, my family were there for hmm, maybe 10, 15 years. So I was only there for a couple of years and then I went to university. But that feels like home to me. So Taupo really mm, feels like home to yeah, me. Yeah. Um, definitely. That's where my family was for my real formative years. Yeah. Um, and then after university, I lived in Wellington and then went overseas. So that's kind of my my trip around um so Waikato Uni obviously was my my school mm. um and then coming back to the Waikato after we 
finished our RE was actually about I was I was pregnant with my son and my parents had moved to Cambridge so we actually came back for the babysitting let's be honest (laughs) (laughs) um we always thought we'd end up back in in either Wellington or we'd end up in Auckland just because of the type of work that my husband and I do Mm. did at the time and then um I don't know why can't I just kind of stuck and we kind of just didn't leave and here we are 10 years later still here (laughs) and still liking it and actually feel very at home in the Waikato now and Mm. um can't really imagine being anywhere else to be fair Mm. nice man that's in Taupo then growing up was that like did you sports at all or like jump into debating or anything nah nah so I um I had a very active social life oh yes Uh, (laughs) So I've never been a, an overly sporty person. Played played sports as a kid. Um, loved netball until I sort of got to that 13, 14-year-old girl age. Um, for me, I was very focused on, on working. So I've always had a part-time job. I got my first part-time job when I was 14. Oh, what um, was it in? New World. New World. Oh, yep. classic. Yeah, yeah. Check out girl at Check. New World. That was where I started. Um, back when it was okay to have 14-year-olds doing that. And then, <laughs> it seems crazy now, um, and then when we were living in Taupo, I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't in sports teams or things. I always, again, I always had a job, so I was working after school and in, mm. in the weekends, um, but I was involved in everything. So I was involved in the ball committee and the fashion show and the sports houses, the, mm. the sports days that the schools did. Um, you know, student council, that kind of just, I was just part of everything. Yeah. <laughs> in some little way, but the mainly. There. Yeah. Just like, there. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I liked having people around. I had um, really cool friends and lots of different groups of friends. Um, so, yeah, there was always plenty, plenty for us to do. Mm. Mm. Did you find yourself as, like, driven or is it more that, like, Yo, let's hang out with my mates, have an awesome time. And oh, I've always been driven. So it's always been, um, well, you don't, I don't, they're not exclusive for me. So you can hang mm. out with your mates and have an awesome time and yeah, still yeah, be very yeah. driven. Um, I think I've always been someone that's wanted more or something better or, um, you know, the next thing. And that was probably, as a young person, it might have been a bit to my detriment in that you don't appreciate what you've got at this at the time because you're constantly driving for more. Mm. But now as you get a little bit older, you go, actually, improvement and more is good, but actually appreciate where we've been and what we've got and mm. um, what we've achieved because it's really easy to not celebrate what you've achieved along the way. Yeah, those small wins, eh? Mm. 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 That's funny. Mm. <laughs> Speaking, I could uh, I feel some listeners going, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> on that one, yeah. Um, yeah, but you have to make yourself stop and celebrate because yeah. it's so easy not to. And that's something that, at, from a work perspective, we check in quite regularly now because we'll achieve something massive and we go, oh, yeah, that's cool. Well done, us. And it's on to the next thing. Mm. You're like, actually, we need to make a bigger deal about that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, like, do you know your personality type at all? Or, like, yeah. for Myers-Briggs, yeah? Myers-Briggs, well. Or what one do you use? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Myers-Briggs, 
I was tested pretty much straight out of uni and and I'm classic ENTP, um, which is a really classic consulting type person. Um, I think that I've probably mellowed a little bit in some of those areas, but that would still be my core. (laughs) That's my, yeah, my revert to type. Um, I've done a few other different ones. The most recent one is, is the TMI profile. Oh, um, I don't know. You done heard of that one? Um, so one of the things, it, it's basically a wheel and it puts everybody on a wheel. Yeah. Um, and I sit uh, at the top of the wheel in the explorer kind of promoter area. So um, it's that blue sky thinking and mm. kind of visionary um like to figure things out and come up with the big ideas but I'm not so great at actually bringing them to fruition so I need people around me now that go okay that's a great idea but we have to do all of these things to make it happen whereas I'm like yeah it's a great idea let's let's just keep going in that direction Mm. (laughs) and and, and not as uh caught up in the detail anymore Mm. Mm. oh interesting do you know the Enneagram at all no oh dang that's a good one Mm. so you come into the University of Waikato then Yep. What degree? So I did a Bachelor of Management Studies. Mm. Yeah. And so my major was um, HR and comms. Um, again, I came to uni without a plan, really. <laughs> uh, it was where I was expected to go. I came to Waikato because it was close enough to home. I had a lot of friends going there and I wanted to do I, I wanted to do a business degree, mm. and so that was um, the right option for me at the time, and looking back, it was the right choice to make. Um, so I was in the halls of residence for first year in Student Village. Oh, you're nice. No. Yeah, that was good fun. Um, I was only I was only 17 when I came, so it was pretty exciting times for me to be living away from home, 17. Um, my social life took precedence in that first year more than my studies <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and um, I was very much one of those students that subscribed to the um, C's get degrees mentality although I picked it up as we as we went along I got a lot better with my grades after I got that first year out of the way yeah um, so for me I realized quite quickly that I'm much better an internal assessment type um, mode, the the project type mode, that sort of thing, rather than taking exams and having to regurgitate uh, facts and figures and mm. all that sort of thing. So as we went along, I, I obviously passed all the papers I needed to pass, but my degree started heading much more into the comms and HR space, mainly while I had an interest in the people part, um, a big reason for that was because the way that the assessments and the projects and the papers worked and the research worked um, was just a lot more aligned to how I think and how I like to operate. Yeah, so it wasn't like this big, I'm going to do HR and comms. No. I've planned this out. No, mm. wasn't like that at all. I And I, I came out of it with no desire to be a HR person. <laughs> yeah. Um, that being said, what I learned has been incredibly valuable mm. um, through my career. And I think um, I think the comms piece was when I was at uni, that was really underrated. It wasn't um, something that people took, um, I don't know if it's 
serious is even the right word, but everyone was very focused on accounting and economics and mm. you know strategy and those parts and the, the comms, classics, the so. classics, yeah. Um, and the comms bit, I think, is probably one of the key things that I would use more regularly from my time at uni mm. is an is an actual technical skill. I just mm. didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting for mm. sure. Because I guess like Jacinda Ardern's even did the comms. Yeah. Yeah. She did. And all that. And yeah. Like, mm. So like at uni then, I know you did the um, case competition paper. Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty darn <laughs> cool. And, but um, to jumping into that, because I know your team did obviously really well <laughs> winning it, which <laughs> yeah. is pretty special achievement there when you get a real company and things like that. But you said your grades went up from working and so I want to say you said you've driven right so yeah. what changed from that first year is it just the excitement from leaving home was like oh, I think I think it was probably a little bit of that I think it was excitement of leaving home new environment you're finding your feet just figuring it out you know the jump from school to uni was quite is quite a big jump and the expectations are, are on you yeah and then um <laughs> the jump from uni to work is a whole nother level so <laughs> be prepared for that <laughs> um I think for me, uh, it was age and stage. I kind of had my time doing that as a 17-year-old in the halls. I knew I had to pass and I knew I could pass. And so that was all I did because my focus was on my social life. Yeah. Um, but I moved out and into a flat. Um, my papers got more interesting. They were a bit more directed around what I wanted to do. Um, and... Yeah, I guess it was just a bit of a a bit of a shift in my psyche to go actually put a little bit of effort in. Yeah, and even in my second year, I probably didn't put as much effort in as I could have. Mm. Um, again, it was environment changed. I was flatting. I was juggling work. I was all of these things, and oh, my social life was still good, but it wasn't wasn't a first year sort of situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just became a bit more important to me. So that. First year was, I probably should have had a gap year, and then I would have kicked butt all the way through on my grades, but, um, you know, it worked. Mm, yeah, it's <laughs> not that the grades matter. It's just interesting to see why people suddenly go, hey, I need a change yeah. and actually motivate that. Yeah, and I guess for me, um, by the time I got into my third year, I was kind of ready to be, I was ready to be done. I was only halfway through well. You know, two thirds of the way through my degree, and um, I was like, "Oh God, I don't, I don't want to be here for years and years. I want to get out, get out into the real world." Um, and so I started uh, picking up extra papers, and I did summer school and stuff just to to get that. But my focus had changed because my focus yeah. was to get into the real world. Mm. The avenue to get there was to get my papers all aligned, and yeah, away we went. Mm, interesting. So when you wrap up your university degree. Yeah. What was your outlook on life? Like, what did you expect? Because <laughs> it's really funny you say that. Um, I didn't really know. When I came to the end of my degree and everyone's like, right, now we have to get jobs. Um, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, I'm kind of doing a bit of HR and a bit of comms. And um, there was a really big push on the graduate programs at that time. So the, um, the big companies would come in. And they would roadshow and try and pull people into their graduate programs. And I kind of thought, I went along to those, like everyone else did. No, oh, yeah, I'll go see what's out there. Didn't, still didn't really know what I wanted to do and didn't know what a, 
a real job looked like for me out the other end of uni. Yeah. I interviewed, so I ended up interviewing with Deloitte. I ended up interviewing with Shell and I ended up interviewing with Capgemini. Um, the one from Shell ended up being very interesting. It was a phone interview. And so it's like the gas and petrol. Yeah, and again, yeah. they they were just they were just pulling in grads without any real job in mind, just to kind of find some good people, I guess, and then direct them into different parts of the business. Mm. So I was like, oh yeah, that, that kind of sounds interesting. Could be something interesting in there. Yeah. Um, had the weirdest interview, and like this woman wanted to know why I'd like to be an astronaut. I was like, I have no desire to be an astronaut. <laughs> oh no, but if you did, why do you think you would? Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know how to answer that. Because the view's cool from a rocket? I have no idea. It was a really, <laughs> really odd interview. Um, anyway, didn't make it through. <laughs> weren't my people. Um, with the Cap Gemini one though, that was that interview went really well. And then I ended up in an assessment centre uh, for eight hours being watched while you do cases and SWOT analysis and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was an unreal experience to go through. Got the job with them and moved to Wellington. And I guess at that point, um, it's interesting because all of a sudden you're a professional. Mm. So you, someone's going to be paying for your skills, which is weird because you as much as you learn at uni, you don't have any <laughs> at that point. You don't have any experience, um, which is what really enriches those skills. You can you can learn the theory, but you apply a bit of experience into that, and that's when you get some real mm. some real rich value out of it, in my opinion. Um, so, I had my first day at work, um, suited and booted. We walked into this conference room on the twenty fifth floor of this big beautiful building. Um, we got given our cell phone, laptop, credit, corporate credit cards and business cards. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, check me out. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm very <laughs> professional. <laughs> and, um, and then we went on an induction, which was two weeks. They sent us to Melbourne for two weeks and basically said to us, right, we're just going to, you, you just need to unlearn everything you know. And we're gonna reformat you into a into a baby consultant, um, and it was the most intense of two weeks ever. We did lots of Myers Briggs, lots of role playing, lots of strategy sessions, lots of um, communication sessions, lots of uh, different techniques around how to handle yourself with a client. If I think back to what I learned in that time, again, it was all those soft skills that I was talking about before. It was yeah. less about know this technical thing, but way more about know these these soft skills. So um, so after that, now you're a fully-fledged consultant and you still don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, off, I went on to projects and that was the beginning of my consulting career. So my first project was with ACC. And it was a process re-engineering um, project. And I was, um, yeah, junior consultant on it. So I was basically taking a lot of notes and, and writing things up. Um, but it was absolutely incredible. It was the kind of stuff that you'd have a project at uni that you'd get six 
or eight weeks to do, and we had to knock it out in two days. And oh, you just, I don't even know if I can think this fast. Yeah. But you can. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that jump, like, so Capgemini White is, um, it was, is just a consulting firm, was it? Or yeah. So it used to quickly? be, used to be Capgemini Ernst and Young. Yeah. So, um, and what happened is when they split the the finance side from the tech side, they Ernst and Young um, remained, and Capgemini took all of the tech side. So oh, okay, yeah. it was um, heavily um, IT focused around big ERP systems, so Oracle, JDE, SAP, that sort of thing. Yeah. But it had a whole transformation and strategy arm. So, oh, okay, and you were in that. So, well, I moved. As a oh. as a graduate, you kind of just got shuffled around wherever they needed people, but that was cool because it gave you so much exposure mm. to what was going on. I ended up in the um, Oracle service line, so I actually became a, a technical consultant, which I... Um, Details. Well, well <laughs> my my family found it hilarious because it wasn't like I was very computer savvy. And I, when they first told me, I sort of was like, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't do a computer science degree. I have no idea what you're talking about. But um, my role was as a functional consultant. So it's actually taking um, the business side and the, the people side. Yeah. And then how do you match that up with, with the technical piece? So... My specialty ended up being supply chain, so inventory, procurement, um, purchasing. And so what I would do is spend a lot of time talking to the customer about what their supply chain process looked like, Uh, how they wanted it to work, what good looked like, what made sense in their organisations, and then translating that so that the technical people could actually configure the system that way and make it work. Mm. So while I was in IT, I was doing a lot of, yeah, it was mainly all the people side for me. Which is a real special role. Like, yeah, it was good fun. Cool, yeah. Good fun. Oh, um, and it was something that, like, when I was at uni, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, mm. you just, it's not, yeah, I didn't know that was what I was aspiring to be when I grew up. But, um, yeah, that's how it played out. So I ended up working for Capgemini for, I was only there for about three or four maybe three years, four years, three years. And then I was headhunted by another consulting firm. So I worked for them for a couple of years. Um, And then I got approached about a job in England, which was what took us over there. So I ended up getting a job over there. So had been in software for about 10 years by the time we came back to New Zealand. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I want to jump back for a second because sure. you, you um, talked about how the jump from uni <laughs> into the <laughs> professional life is pretty big, which I'm sure all the young professional listening going, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. What, like, why do you think it is so big? Uh, I don't actually know the answer to that question. I think um, I think it's it's timing. Like when you're... Mm. When I started consulting, somebody was paying somebody, um, you know, 150 bucks an hour for me to do something. Well, I had to be producing value. And so you have to produce value as quickly as you can um, to make it worth it, right? So that they actually feel like they're getting something out, out the back of it. Yeah. When you're at uni, you're creating value for yourself to be able to sell essentially when you leave because you're, you're 
turning yourself into the human that's going to be marketable. Mm. Um, but yeah, when you're doing it on someone else's paycheck, then you have you have to kind of be quick and be giving good value on their time frame. So I, I guess that's where the jump was for me. Mm. Became less about me achieving in my time frame and me achieving in someone else's time frame. Yeah. Mm. Which shifts the priorities and how I even have to think and Yeah, totally. And what's important because it's less about what's important to you. It's about what's important to your customer. Mm. Interesting. Cause it's I find it fascinating talking um and listening to your uh, understanding how you move from that technical side of actually talking about the supply chain mm. moving into now, because I feel like that seems to go quite nicely across from what you do now, I guess, in the sense with yeah, and I think that's the thing is it's really easy to pigeonhole yourself into one area where you go, oh, I'm a supply chain specialist um, or I'm an IT person or whatever your thing is. And I guess what I've realised, and I've realised it later in my career, is that um, what I'm actually really good at is solving problems. Mm. And it doesn't matter where those problems arise from. Um, if I don't know how to solve them, I know how to find someone that can solve them and I know how to do it in a time frame that's going to meet your needs and I know that I can make sure that the customer feels valued on the way through, whoever that customer is. Yeah. So that's all the transferable stuff that, yes, I have good supply chain knowledge that I barely use anymore because that's not what's important mm. for the success of my company right now. Yeah. Um, what's important for the success is those personal relationships and the people um, – connectivity and all that kind of thing mm. so so yeah so those technical yeah. skills were important to begin with but all the soft stuff that's set around them mm. is actually what's adding value now what type of soft skills do you wish young professionals knew a bit better oh communication 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. so um and and when i say communication people to people yeah. person oh, to person okay, yeah, yeah. so you can see a lot of people that can write an amazing report or they can they can research and analyse and, and come up with some really great content. But one of the things that um, I see is it's really polarising around people being good at verbally communicating and holding a conversation. And it's it's small things. It's eye, you know, it's eye contact. Mm. It's asking, engaging questions, active listening, all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, some people are better with different mediums and that's cool, but just, just know your medium, know your strength mm. and, and be really good at it. But comms is, comms is key for me. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Cause I guess it's the core of any relationship, right? With anybody mm. you need actually, mm. if you can't communicate effectively, you're kind of shooting mm. yourself in the foot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it creates a lot of confidence. You can mm. inspire a lot of confidence in customers and other professionals and suppliers or whoever you're dealing with when you can communicate effectively. Even if you're putting out a message they don't want to hear, if you can be articulate, communicate it, and um, get that point across in a respectful way, that is just as good as giving someone what they want. Yeah. So, yeah, really important skills from my perspective. Mm. Anything else? Anything else? Um, see, I'm a big fan of, of strategy and everything that goes with that. So that whole 
um, that willingness to learn and willingness to change and adapt. So it's really easy to get get kind of entrenched in the mindset of you know the answer. Mm. Um, so what I've learned over time is the answers change, the environment changes, the answers change, your approach has to change. So that flexibility of um, and, and that strategic thinking around knowing that you're not always going to be right or if you're right in this moment, you might not be right in the next moment and be willing to keep learning, keep um, processing more information and, and changing and adapting when you need to. Yeah. That's yeah. the bit that's really... Um, I think because I think it's a really great skill to yeah. have in your arsenal if you can. Was that something you found natural for you or was it like you eventually developed it and you oh, I did that? Or... Um, I think I probably naturally had it a little bit, but I'm a lot more deliberate about it now. Mm. And I'm, um, and there's a lot of things that I'm more deliberate about and that's probably something I wish I knew earlier. A lot of what I did and where I got to um, just flowed because of my personality and I would kind of take the opportunity and roll with it. Now I'm probably a bit more deliberate about how I how I use those skills and create more opportunities as a result. Mm. Um, so, you know, how am I going to approach a situation? Because I, I know myself well enough now to know how I will respond. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, using yeah. your self-awareness as a foundation to actually move forward mm. rather than mm. <laughs> just, oh, I know this. And yeah, and, and being really, um, just really authentic and I have always been a confident person, but just being really authentic with how you're delivering messages and what you're thinking and um, and why you're doing things, that whole purpose piece mm. that I was saying earlier that, um, your generation tends to be way better at. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a really cool thing to be able to have as a foundation for driving how you approach a situation. Mm. So if you if you know what that is and you're really authentic about it and then you wrap all of that comms piece that you learn and the strategy stuff that you learn, I mean, I think that's incredibly powerful. Mm, yeah, like with your purpose and actually moving all towards that because mm. that will affect how you'd communicate. Mm, how totally. you strategize and move forward. Totally. Mm, nice. Yeah. Well, let's jump into when you move to the UK because that sounds pretty darn cool. <laughs> UK, yeah. So I'll back up a little bit. So what yeah. happened was um, I had been consulting for a while. I, you, I worked a lot. Yeah. There was a lot of um, a lot of national travel and a lot of time a lot of hotel rooms while you're working on projects to, to keep up. Um, so I'd gotten to a point where I needed a break. Um, so my husband and I, we spent two months backpacking through Asia and we had an absolute blast. It was so much fun. And then we came back to New Zealand and got back to our real lives. And we were a couple of months in and we were just like, hmm, it's a big wide world out there. We probably want to see something else. Yeah. And so while doing an OE hadn't been a big driver for me to begin with, we sort of just got a bit restless and timing was perfect. One of the guys that I'd worked with um, previously, he had he had moved over there and so he rang and said, hey, I'm working for this company. Um, there's a job up and I think you'd be great for it. So I think you should apply. And he put me in touch with his manager 
again had to go through another big recruitment process which is always good fun and one of the things they did is they did a um, psychometric test and it was 11 questions oh those are everyone's favorite i know so. right <laughs> 11 questions and you had to get nine of them right to be employed in this company that was just their their standard so um i did the test and i got two or two out of 11 <laughs> <laughs> and and the manager guy calls me and he goes oh um, this is a bit surprising, you know, kind of, you, you ticked all the other boxes, but you know, you didn't pass this test. And I was like, oh, that test is rubbish for what you're employing me for. So it was really technical, great for a developer mind because of the way it was working, mm. but they were employing me into a functional consulting role that had a, a really big customer engagement piece. I was like, you don't, you don't want me thinking like that if I'm going to be. Um, engaging with your customers and mm. um, in fact that's probably why this role exists if you've got those people engaging with your customers so we had a big conversation uh, about it and he was like all right you know, I'm gonna take a leap of faith and I'll hire you anyway that's a pretty cool like thing to happen <laughs> oh yeah it was it was very cool he was he was really taken with Kiwis and Aussies he filled his team with Kiwis and Aussies because he was like oh you guys just kind of get stuff done and and you're easy to manage and like nothing was hard and we and we had a cool team so um so yeah so he took a leap of faith and and so did I I was like oh god what have I talked myself into here mm. um but it was great so I landed in the UK um with a job well-paying job um and we quickly found a flat and apartment got ourselves set up and then just had three years of, three and a half years, three and a half years of the best time. So um, my husband's an engineer and he was working for Transport for London. I was working for this this IT company. Um, what was it? What's that, sorry? What was it? Um, it was called Epicore. So it was a, it's a financial ERP. It's like a tier two ERP. So smaller than the oracles and SAPs and um yeah quite extensive went across a lot of a lot of industries um so yeah so I was traveling everywhere and I was having a great time um I would you know go to Ireland for a meeting and come back that afternoon I'd go to Germany for the day and then come back then you know that afternoon (laughs) and and you know when you're from New Zealand that stuff just doesn't make sense you can't even think how that works but um but it does and it's cool and then um I got approached by another company and they were just offering it was an American company that focused on project management software for engineering and architecture firms and they were just offering insane money so we were kind of at that point we were sending money home paying off student loans doing all that good stuff so it made sense and um I went to work for them and I'd say my biggest learning out of that is don't follow the money (laughs) 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 it's a terrible company to work for um but I learned an awful lot about myself and had some cool projects the company itself wasn't great but the projects were really cool Mm. and I'd find myself in these crazy amazing situations like um I got sent to Sweden to Saab to do a uh, install for software 
for how they manage the build of the Gripen fighter jet. So, <laughs> so you find yourself walking into these buildings and you're getting checked for, um, you know, you had to check in all your, your cameras and phones and any explosives you were carrying. Obviously, they didn't want you carrying explosives. Just Yeah, yeah I know, right? <laughs> Again, from New Zealand, we sit there and think that's a bit weird. Um, and so running projects that are dual language. So you're running the project in English and Swedish without speaking Swedish. And so with translators and, um, yeah, on a highly secretive um, site. So experiences like that that you just – you just wouldn't get that here in the yeah. same way. Um, I had another project in Johannesburg, and so I used to do two weeks on, two weeks off um, in the UK, and then I'd go back down to Joburg and work down there. And it was an interesting time. So I was yeah. only, I would have been 20, 28, 29. Um, very blonde and naive from and young from New Zealand um, and I was working for a company that was owned by a set of brothers and they were um, Indian South African and so they were part of the black empowerment um, movement which meant there were all these rules and regulations around what we could and couldn't do um, and just the, the social aspects of it were just incredibly interesting but I'd find myself locked in the building because they'd be rioting out the front. So they'd lock us all in the middle office in the center of the building until the rioting oh, stopped. Wow. And then you'd, your driver would take you home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we weren't allowed to spend the weekends in Johannesburg because it was too dangerous. And so on a Friday afternoon, we'd get picked up by a driver and taken somewhere and flown out to a, um, a game park because it was safer to be sitting in the middle of a game park with the big five than it was to be sitting in the middle of Joburg for the weekend. So Man. again, things like that, you just never, I would never have experienced if I didn't get into consulting and have uh, that opportunity to travel. Mm. Yeah. To understand a bit more about the time thing, we could take this out. Like, <laughs> like when was it? Is that like Nelson Mandela had been? So it was, it would have been 2009, uh, 2008. Uh, yeah. 2008. Yeah. So while we were over there, it was quite funny because um, it was when Obama got elected. Oh. Right. So Obama got elected and interestingly, it was the same month that John Key got elected. And so I had a quite a funny conversation. One of the guys comes in and goes, oh, wow, you've got a new president. And I was like, prime minister, we have, we have a prime minister. And oh, yeah, we do, you know. And thought too much about it. It's exciting, you know. It's a big change for your country, and it's going to be um, it's going to be incredible <laughs> for your country. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, you know, I I don't know that much about him. I I guess we'll see. Yeah, figured out soon after that. He thought I was American. <laughs> he was very excited for me to have a black president. <laughs> Not American at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even the slightest. But yeah. What was who was in charge in South Africa at the time? That would have been. I don't know. Myself. I I Just don't know. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't even. Oh. I couldn't even tell you. I mean, our experience was. I, I wasn't really. Um, I didn't pay enough attention to the political situation. That's something that came with age for me. Yeah. 
Um, there's probably a lot of countries that I visited that I wouldn't have now if I'd paid more attention. So that whole ignorance is bliss piece probably worked quite well for me from a from a <laughs> yeah. travel perspective. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure actually. Mm. I have to go. On, I'd actually have to go and look it up. Oh man. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I, I have to ask though, even though we've kind of moved on a bit from there, but calling that guy. When you, when you get told, oh, yeah, you've not done well on the test. Generally, most people thoughts are going through their head, oh, I've not got the job. Right? They're like sitting there and they're like, Mo-, and yeah. I'm, I know you're not like most yeah. people, Renee. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, so I'm just, Why, thank you. <laughs> so that's that thing of going, okay, you've got a situation where most people are just going to be, okay, I guess I'm going to have to find another one. Why did you go, hey, I'm not too sure if you've got this right. Like what? What was inside of you that you were actually not going to have a go and have a crack here, swing? Um, probably, I probably because I thought it was rubbish. I was quite, um, I'm quite true to my convictions. Yeah. So, I'm going to express myself <laughs> in a situation yeah. if I don't agree. Mm. Um, and again, back to that comms piece, why it's so important to make sure you do it in a way that's respectful. Mm. Mm. But I, for me, for me, I wanted to go and I wanted the job because I knew the guy. I'd worked with the guy before that had put me onto it and we were a good team. So I was, and he was really happy there. So it seemed like a really, a good option. Mm. Um, I guess there's been a few times that if I really believe in something, I will, I'll speak out to it. Yeah. Um, And my ego probably took a little bit of a hit. Probably felt like I had to justify it a little bit. You know, oh, I don't don't want you thinking that I'm not very smart because I didn't get those, that test right. That's just different. That's honest. Um, So yeah, ego probably paid a part of it. I think to... I'd had a few good experiences prior where when I'd spoken up for myself, I'd gotten the outcome that I was after. So an example of that was very early on in my consulting career. I'd only been consulting for maybe, oh, be less than a year maybe. Mm. And um, I was put onto a project team to deliver a solution um, for two government departments. And it it was a pretty big deal quite quite visionary at the time looking back now um it's a bit crazy but anyway visionary at the time and so we were under the pump and for me to do my part of the solution I had to learn a lot very fast yeah and I was one of a couple of graduates that had started at the same time so I was working frantically with another consultant to try and figure it out and Mm. the senior manager he came through and he was like have you got that ready yet and I said, not yet, we're still working on it. And um, he said in front of a few other people that he didn't have any confidence in my ability to be able to deliver this and it might be a waste of time having me on the project. Oh. And and he walked away and Man. I just, it made me very angry. <laughs> and I sat there and I was thinking, man, I'm putting so much effort in and you don't have confidence in my ability, that's not okay. Um, the consultant that I was sitting next to just put his head down and kind of ducked for cover. Yeah. 
with the exchange that went, well, wasn't an exchange, the comment that was made to me. So I mailed on it for an hour or two and I just thought, actually, that's not, that's not okay. Um, so I went into the senior manager's office and I said to him, I need to talk to you. Um, I don't think it was appropriate what you said before. And he was like, well, I don't have any confidence in your ability. And I said, well, you're my senior manager. So actually, and I'm a graduate, the responsibility is on you to help me learn so that you can have confidence in my ability. Wow. And he, he said, point, point taken. Um, he never said sorry. He never apologized. But I said to him that if we're going to work well together, then you need to have confidence in me, but I have to have confidence in you as well. So mine's actually quite low in you right now too. Um, wow. And <laughs> oh, <man>. that's <laughs> impressive. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know. When I walked out of the room, I think I was like, oh, I don't know where that came from. He said, okay. He said, well, from now on, if I say things like that, you'll just need to check me. And I said, no, from now on, you need to check yourself before you say things like that. And wow. And he said, um, okay, point taken. <laughs> he kept saying point taken. He never said sorry and he That's, never, he never agreed. So, so he's like, you need to check me. And you're like, no, just stop. Which no, is, it's just check true, yourself first. but wow. <laughs> but I'd also, I'd gotten on a roll. I felt really strongly yeah. about that. Mm. And um, it was all delivered very respectfully. We went on to successfully deliver that project. Him and I went on to successfully work together across two different consulting companies after that um, and still keep in contact to this day. Wow. So he, um, he, did, he did respect me a lot for standing up to him mm. um, in a way that was really authentic and true to me. So, so coming back to that recruitment piece, yeah, that's obviously a couple of years later. Mm. For me, those things, if I truly believe it, if I can see the outcome that I want and I can convey my message well, then I go for it. Mm. Mm. That's so good. And I think really inspiring for everyone <laughs> to listen. Like, and <laughs> that's a big thing to do to any senior manager. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah don't worry there's been quite a few times in my career when I sit back and I think eh, should I have done that but mm. as I said earlier I I don't regret anything so mm. everything's everything's built on getting me to where I am today I'm the person that I am today so I think it gives us permission to not realize we have to tolerate a toxic culture because mm. calling out people and saying they're useless effectively mm. in front of their colleagues just it's not okay. I've never seen that actually improve performance in anything or I heard of it doing that. No. But. And, and I think that, um, well, I'd like to think workplaces are getting much better at that and they're mm. getting, people are getting better at that. Um, but when I started consulting, it was, it was a different, it was a different world. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to think people are improving, although you mm. see all sorts in the media often where that would indicate it's not the case. Wow. Mm. (laughs) I think the other thing too is, so uh, not wanting to jump too far forward, but all of the stuff that we learn along the way, you then bring into the type of manager you want to be, the type of leader you want to be, the type of company you want to create or whatever your thing is, coming back to that that purpose, um, all of that feeds in the good, the bad, 
you either emulate behavior or you figure out that you're absolutely not going to be that person. Mm-hmm. Don't tolerate it. Have you found it like, because I'm sure at some point in your career you've been maybe managing someone and they haven't been doing that or maybe in the roles are reversed. How have you switched the narrative though so you don't just follow that same path and actually go, oh my gosh, I've got this person here who's definitely like, they need to step up mm. and I need to help them. How have you really come into them and actually helped them instead of doing that? I have no confidence in front of their colleagues. Well, one, I would never say that because I know yeah. how rubbish that feels and that's that never being that person. Um, again, I keep coming back to communication. It's about yeah. knowing the message you want to convey and how to how to convey it in a way that's respectful and going to get the outcomes that you want. So I think um, with someone that needs their performance elevated, you, you have to be able to identify in a non-emotive way what's not quite hitting the mark mm. and then help them actually not just go, you've got a problem, you're not performing. You've got to go, actually, I've noticed that this and this and this aren't quite where they need to be. Mm. And this is what I think we need to do to help get you there. And then let that person feed back into that process so that you can adjust it. And when we were talking before about strategy, being able to go, you don't always have the answer. Yeah, I might think that's the answer to how we're going to solve it. And that person might have some other ideas mm. and being willing to adjust and change your, your approach yeah. to be inclusive and go, okay, let's give that a crack. See if that's going to improve. Um, so yeah, comms, open and willing to discuss. Mm. And then actually supporting that person to put that plan in place. Mm. And I think for me, um, where I'm not the right person to be guiding that person, making sure that I put them with someone that is the right person. Yeah, which yeah, I think that actually shows responsibility as a leader mm. as well. It's not just, because that's effort. It is effort. It, it's not fun. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And so um, I think one of the things, you know, we talk about purpose and authenticity and everything, but when you're really genuine and you care about people as mm. holistically, you'll put the effort in and you actually get a really good outcome for the most, you know, most of the time. Yeah. Mm. That's good. So cool. I'm glad we actually jumped into this a bit more because I didn't realize how powerful the story was into it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. So anything else in the UK in your time over there that you'd want to share? Um, yeah, the UK. The, the time over there, it was incredible. And um, one of the things that my husband and I decided when we went over was that we were going to maximise every opportunity. So, so we went everywhere that we had a chance to go. Yeah. We said yes to everything we had a chance to say yes to. Um, Dive into Europe, go there. Just go. <laughs> I mean, not that you can at the moment, but <laughs> <laughs> when you have the opportunity, just go. The experience, everything is is bigger. It's more people. There's more stuff. The projects are bigger. The jobs are bigger. Everything's it's just more. So yeah. the opportunity to learn is incredible and the opportunity to bring cool stuff back mm. is awesome too. So yeah, just if you had the opportunity, just do it. And it doesn't have to be the UK. It's just getting outside yeah. of your comfort zone. It's outside of what you know, your world that you live in, your world that you know, whatever mm. that looks like, whether it's another country, whether it's another 
it might just be another town. It might be just moving to the city. I yeah. don't know. Mm. Just find something outside of your comfort zone and try it. And I love how your, your fuel was that. It was actually to learn and mm. to bring it back and help. Because it's interesting because you can get many people go, hey, you should do that. And I love that. I think it's, it says something about who you are, I guess, in the sense that you're like, yeah, no, to learn, mm. to help. Actually, mm. others, it's not just <laughs> yeah. have fun and like, yeah, because there's many ways to do that. But I think this actually has fun in a way of growth. Yeah. And yeah, I think again, coming back to knowing yourself, having a bit of self awareness. Yeah. And it's um, like we had a lot of fun. We saw a lot of things. And some of it was really selfish. You know, we, mm. we traveled to places we wanted to go and, yeah. you know, um, I did projects that really appealed to me for no particular reason because it was a cool company. I mean, fun. I had one project and it was for a company that supplies um, beauty products to cruise ships. And they have a training ground, <laughs> sounds like military, um, for their beauty therapists. And so you go to this amazing estate where these beauty therapists get sent on training camps for months before they get shipped off onto cruise ships. And it's like walking into the beginning of a horror film in that all of the women look the same. They're all in the same uniform. They've all got their hairs and buns. They've all got the same makeup on. <laughs> it is terrifying. They all look like robots. But I loved going there because it was just so interesting. And you got <laughs> yeah. the freebie. You got freebie products. Um, so some of it's not – I mean, I – Obviously, I learned things there, but some of it was just intriguing. So <laughs> yeah. you, you go and do that just because it's, yeah, appeals to your, yeah, yeah. interest, I guess. Mm. Mm. That's cool. That's so good. Mm. Man. And so you came back to New Zealand because. Yeah. So yeah. I um, ended up getting pregnant with my son. Yeah. And so we were going to have him over over there and we were just going to stay on. Um, and then I turned into the crazy pregnant woman that just wanted to come home because my baby had to be born in New Zealand and had to be a Kiwi and I wanted my mum and all that good stuff. So, um, so yeah, so when I was 35 weeks pregnant, we jumped on a plane and came back to New Zealand, which again, in hindsight, probably shouldn't have done that, but was a good idea at the time. Um, and... We actually, I was just on maternity leave, so we always had the option to go back. Um, but we came back to New Zealand and once we'd had my son and we'd kind of settled into life a little bit, um, the idea of going back to the UK with a brand new baby just didn't appeal anymore to me. Um, so yeah, so we, we settled in Raglan actually and we were living out there for a year. Uh, my husband was working on the wind farm and um, I was a stay-at-home mum, which seemed like a great idea at the time, but that's not um, my most comfortable role, <laughs> I guess <laughs> is probably fair to say. So when, when my son was about six months old, I started looking for a project and we'd made the decision not to go back to the UK. Um, I started looking for a project in Hamilton that I could do and mm. could do on a part-time basis. And I ended up going to work for Waikato DHB. So mm. I went in to Waikato DHB on a um, six-month contract just to do an assessment of some of their systems that they were using. And it was getting back to basics for me, but that was 
what I needed at the time with a with a young baby. Um, so yeah, so a six month contract turned into six years, wow. and <laughs> <laughs> it was um, quite it was quite a cool it was a quite a cool place to be. Like it's really easy to dismiss government organisations in particular um, as not being the employer of choice let's say that you know there's this perception around um the kind of work that they do or maybe not being innovative enough or not paying well enough or whatever there's always those sorts of perspectives hanging around but the the dhb for me was probably one of one of the best roles that i've had in my career from um an interest perspective and from a purpose perspective, because you're all, you know, you're working in the health sector. It's, it's greater good is really strong there. Lots of very, very smart people from very different um, walks of life and educational areas. So when you get immersed in that world, there's a hell of a lot of learning you can, you can take, but yeah. there's a lot of impact you can have. Mm. Um, so I really love my time at the DHB. What did you do there, mainly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what did I actually do? Um, so, I started off going in to do a systems review, and then I ended up working in the supply chain program um, as project manager or program manager. And it started off with some system pieces, but then they were also building the Mead Clinical Centre. So there was a big um, building project going on at the hospital and they were remodeling the hospital so I specialized in theater critical care and interventional around their supply chain operation to try and get efficiency from a system perspective so people process and technology right mm. and so we took each of those pieces it was effectively a massive change program that I ended up um, with a team of people and we were running there and because we were doing so well at the DHB with reducing wastage and um, getting some really good process in place, I then became involved uh, with the national program, mm. which was about getting all of the DHBs onto a single um, Oracle system or financial supply chain system. Yeah. So I would go and um, take what Waikato was doing into that program um, so that we could make sure that they were well represented with the national solution. Um, and then I ended up with lots of little side projects that just came out because you're there and you can see cool opportunities. So we looked at um, we looked at different processes around, a project, sorry, around um, sterile services, so how all the equipment gets sterilised coming up. So really small, distinct pieces of work that had quite a massive impact into the overall supply of things. Mm. Um, we did procurement projects where we'd work out deals around getting savings if we use certain types of stuff in the hospital. And then you had all of the clinical engagement as well as the um, supplier engagement and the mm, administrative yes. engagement. So lots, lots of different things, but most of it was focused around supply chain improvement through those areas. Mm. Mm. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it is really cool. Um, I have, I th yeah, I have a lot of fondness for the health sector, and there's a lot of 
opportunity <laughs> in that sector to do do things really well and actually have some real impact on people. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So yeah, so the DHB for me was um, was great and it was really good while my kids were small because they are a very flexible employer and yeah. they understand what it looks like for people to have families and that kind of thing. Um, so I had had my daughter two years later mm. and so while I was at the DHB I had these two two little babies um, and then in 2014 we started Civtech which was is our business and that was the third baby so I had a four-year-old a two-year-old and a new business <laughs> yeah. I actually want to jump back on something you said before about sure. stay-at-home mum and just wasn't your jam yeah because I know, like, <laughs> I know when we were talking before, you found that, like, there was this pressure for some like, yeah. woman to actually still have that. Yeah. And I'm definitely not qualified to talk about something. <laughs> Fair enough. There. Yeah, what's your perspective on it? So, so I guess for me, um, I always wanted kids and I always expected I'd have kids. And, yeah. and so when they came along, I, like, I loved my kids and I really wanted them. They're very wanted babies. Um, but I found that. For me, I had spent the previous almost 30 years at that point tying my identity to uh, being successful at school and then at university and then mm. at work. And then all of a sudden you're a mum. And for me, all of the, all of the stuff that I knew about myself um, kind of went on the back burner and I was trying to figure out how to be a mum. And... Um, and I had been very good at everything I'd set my mind to along the way. And all of a sudden you have these babies and they don't realize that you're really good at what you do. And, <laughs> and they, they don't work to your time frame and it all gets a bit hard. Um, but I did find I did find being a stay-at-home stay mum really challenging. I am a very social person and I really um, crave that adult interaction and the engagement and conversation and all that sort of thing. So... Um, yeah, once I got into it with, with my boy, I was kind of realizing that I just didn't, um, it, being a stay at home mum didn't work for me. Mm. Um, I didn't get what I needed out of it from a, a social interaction piece. Um, and so I had to find a way to, to balance that because I was actually a mm. much better mum to him when, when my needs were met around social engagement and all of those yeah. sorts of things and feeling um, feeling like I was contributing to the household and feeling like I was um, being recognised at a more professional level. So so going back to work part-time gave me that and that was a, a nice balance. Um, when I became pregnant with my daughter, I knew that about myself already. So yeah. I worked up until I was due and that suited me that was what I wanted to do um and then when I had my daughter I stayed home for the first um four months and then I worked remotely for a couple of days a week and then um and then I went back to work and what I did was I uh, designed my life to meet our family's needs mm. so I it took a lot of time to get to this realization yeah. but one of the things that I realized is that there's so much pressure out there um, for women to 
have it all, be it all, do it all. Um, and what I realized is that I, as long as I defined what all looked like, then I could totally do that. And coming back to our question or our conversation earlier about um, how do I have some of those conversations that I've had, again, it's just that conviction of knowing that it's it's the right thing to do. So with the kids, it became a case of um, they have a better mother if I'm working yeah. and if I'm, you know, feeling fulfilled from a career perspective. Um, likewise, I couldn't throw myself back into my career in the same way that I had pre-children because um, that would be to the detriment yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I needed to find out what that balance was and that's what we did. So um, for me, that balance was four days a week and having some time to work from home and then creating a structure in the household that supported that. So we had nannies and we had um, au pairs and people that helped us and were part of our family to help us balance what this mm. all looked like. And that worked for us. Yeah. Mm. That's cool. I think it's a good story because I, unfortunately I feel like there is a social pressure of going for women of like, you have to choose mm. and it's not. And I think, I think that's listening. I mm. think that's listening over time. Yeah. And, um, and even, you know, when I came to having children, it was nowhere near what it had been like generations before. Yeah. Mm. Um, but also for the woman, um, you're the one in the driving seat, you know, create the life that suits you and your family. Mm. Um, and who cares what the social norms are? Yeah. <laughs> They're there to be broken, right? Mm. <laughs> That's cool. So good. Awesome. And so Civtech, the third child. The third child. Which I think, I know this is like, Civtech is a pretty cool company. Mm. And it was one of those things I remember like coming to the podcast would be like, I started seeing all these vans everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness. And yeah. it's pretty crazy what you guys have done. Yeah. And only 2014. Like. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> what is it? What's the secret sauce? Um, yeah. It is pretty crazy, and when when I reflect on the ride, it has been a pretty crazy ride. So, um, yeah, for our listeners, what is what is Civtech? Yeah, right, I'll give you do? give you a bit of a, a bit of a heads up. So, so as I mentioned earlier, um, the my husband's an engineer, mm. so he was working uh, for a company, and he was part of the contract management team for the ultra fast fiber rollout. Yeah. yeah. So that was building the big network through mm. through all the major towns. Now, he came home one day and he was like, oh, I've had this great idea. Um, I'm going to go. He's a very practical person. He'd much rather be out in the field than sitting behind a desk. So um, he was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a van and I'm going to get someone to help me and I'm going to go and install some fiber and I'm going to do a couple of, couple of jobs a day and um, we'll get these people connected and we'll do – He'll work four days and I'll work four days and then we're going to have these long weekends with our kids and go and hang out at the beach. You know, what a great idea. Sounds amazing. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. And um, we, had, we had the opportunity to do it in a way that it was quite low risk for us. So if it didn't work out, it, it was okay. We could go Sweet. and try something else. Um, so that lasted for about five minutes and <laughs> all of a sudden we had 10 people working for us and then 20 people working for us and it just kept getting more and more so so what civtech does is we build we build utility networks so we 
build the main fiber networks. We connect people to them and then we maintain them. Mm. We build um, water networks and then connect. So when you see water main upgrades around town, we do that sort of thing. And we also we also work on power networks and gas networks. Yeah. Um, we build, so in the telco space, we build um, mobile towers. Um, they don't give you coronavirus, just saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and we do a lot of, of different parts of, of the telco space. Um, we operate across the central North Island and we also operate in the South Island. So we are national now. We employ 250 wow. people. Um, so six years. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, right? Um, and it's, I think we've got 180 vehicles on the road across those areas as well as all the other plant and equipment that that it takes to to yeah. do the work that we do, so yeah, so we've grown massively quickly. Um, but we are focused on on utilities, predominantly telco, but the water space has grown quite a lot, yeah. um, and and the power and gas are um, emerging for us as well. So that's that's what Siftec does. So the third child was supposed to be a bit of a bit of a easy. Um, four-day-a-week business, and now it's this mammoth nationwide <laughs> company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's, like, there's so many interesting things off this of, like, going in six years, scaling that. Yeah. How do you keep a culture <laughs> for a business? Yeah, great C- question. Because, what is it, 250, did you say? 250, 250 people? people? That's yeah. not... It's not easy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so what we've done is we've tried to keep um, a real family focus. Um, So we've been really particular about who we hire in leadership roles to make sure that they're on board with what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to achieve it. Um, We have lots of communication methods, which um, you would have picked up by now as a real hotspot for me. We've we've come to grips with who we are and who we want to be, and I think that this is something that's probably quite important. When we were young, when we were young as a company, um, we were busy competing against some very big established companies, yeah. and we found ourselves trying to emulate them because mm-hmm. we thought that was what our customer wanted. What we realised over time is that wasn't necessarily what our customer wanted, and once we knew what they wanted and actually what they wanted was us to be authentically us, then we realised that actually that was what was important and Mm. we weren't going to try and be some big corporate. We were going to be true to ourselves in the way we ran our business and the way we dealt with our customers. So um, we have some really key values um, at Civtech and probably the, the, the key guiding mantra for our team is don't be a dick we do cool stuff and we live life by design Mm. so don't be a dick's pretty self-explanatory and it's quite um easy to embed that in the team because because they know what that looks like and they're quite happy to hold each other to account on that yeah um we do cool stuff so that's about cool projects and and figuring out what we're up to and um the impact that it has so our, our purpose as a company is improvement through connection, which is if you think about what we do, we're making physical connections. 
Um, but if you think about the reality of that, when you provide a fiber connection, you're actually meaning it means someone can Skype their family member yeah. somewhere else in the world that they can't see now because they can't travel. And that has a lot of impact. Um, you connect water to a house and that improves um, hygiene or um, the ability to cook or shower or whatever um, has an improvement on a person's life. Same with power, same with gas. So, so when our team really understand the impact that they have through doing their work, it, it, you kind of start snowballing that culture and you start, yeah. Um, yeah, don't be a dick, do cool stuff, improvement through connection. And then life by design for us is a little touching on what we talked about, that whole figuring out what works for your family uh-huh. and what what is good for you and makes you know makes you happy. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people get bogged down in the day-to-day and they don't have the opportunity to actually step back and go, what do I want out of life? How do I get it? Can I get it? All those sorts of things. So we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that our team um, have the ability and the space to design their lives, whatever that might look like. So we do lots of things around um, trying to eliminate other stresses out of their lives to provide that space. Yeah. So um, things like health insurance, we um, pay minimum amounts so that people know how much money they've got coming into the house, all these mm. sorts of things to try and create an environment where they can design their lives. Mm. Mm. That's real cool and special, I think. Yeah. For a company. It is. Um, I I think it's real special and it's totally our baby. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit biased. But it is, again, about being authentic, being genuine, and making sure that you are surrounding yourself with the right people to lead mm. that will see that vision and operate in that way. And, yeah. and so much of it goes to core morals and belief systems around being good humans and the way we do business and um, setting the way we set our strategy and the way we set our targets and KPIs uh, are in line with that so that we don't we don't create a situation where we go, we want you to behave like this, but everything you're me- measured on makes you behave a different way. Yeah. So it's just making sure that it's all ingrained all the way across mm. the organisation. Mm. That's cool. Mm. What are some of those um, communication things which you've embedded to help the company? Yeah. yeah. So we do lots of different things. Um, we use a lot of digital tech where we can because we are – spread out across the country and we don't have a lot of people off operating from a desk. Yeah. So we use um, so, uh, iPad smartphones and we have a number of different apps that we can we can connect on. We have um, e-roads installed in all of our vehicles and so that's a GPS tracking system okay. yeah, and yeah. it monitors driver behaviour and makes sure we know where people are and safety pieces. Mm. But that has a messaging tool as well, so we can get messages out to the team quickly in that respect. So there's a lot of technical mediums that we can get messages out quickly. Um, You know, um, electronic notice boards and all that kind of stuff. Email, all the things you'd expect to be really normal. Then we do other things. So we have um, toolbox meetings. So once a week we get people to come into the office and we have meetings where we talk to them about all sorts of different things, but these are really collaborative meetings. So yeah. the idea is that we want 
we want engagement from the team. So we're yeah. we're getting messages through. So what does that look like? So you come in, it's just a meeting, which is to go over the stuff that's happening, or is it? Yep. So it could be it'll be a it'll be a mix, right? So it'll oh. be a group of people, and it could be as small as half a dozen. It could be big as fifty. Yep. It it really could be anything in between. Um, normally what will go through those what will go through in those meetings is um, things like any health and safety bits that have come up any project bits that have come up um, and so they'll be quite operational quite tactical and, mm. and quite targeted at the work that the team does but that's the opportunity to then also bring in some more um, potentially high level messaging or mm. um, a bit more values-based messaging or things like that so we do do that quite yep. often so the toolbox meetings are quite um they're quite standard in the industry yeah but it is a really good way to to communicate with the team mm. the other thing that we do is um twice a year we shut the company down for four hours in the afternoon which um the first time we did it just gave me an absolute I thought I was going to have a hernia. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a big logistical operation these days to do that. Yeah. Um, but we try and bring everyone onto a single site and we have a half-day team meeting and we do a lot of work around um, training, education, but it's a good place to have a lot of discussion around strategy, vision, mm. um, and all that cultural piece. And like yeah. part of this is, is who we are. Um, and then we do yeah targeted training and we do a bit more around life by design and how we can support the team with that so we do that twice a year now covid put paid to that this year because we can't gather in those numbers anymore mm. so we've had to find other ways to try and engage the team and, and keep these um keep getting that feedback loop and making sure people are getting the right stuff so so technology has been a lot more critical this year than ever before um, but those toolbox meetings and those big team days are mm. probably where the magic happens. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, nice. So I guess with, um, if I talk to you about my journey with SivTech might be interesting for yeah. you. So, um, as I said, when we started the company, Shane was working in the company. So for the first three years, he ran SivTech and I was working at the hospital and then I would support him, um, outside of my my time there in 2017 we decided that it was time for me to come into the company so we were probably probably had about 50 people at that point 50 60 people yeah and it had gotten to a point where um like I said before Shane's really he loves being um out in the field and the company just needed a little bit more structure and um probably guidance from a a business perspective we were mm. technically very good at what we were doing and we had really great people um but we just needed a bit more structure so we made the decision for our family that i would come into the company and and help with that um unfortunately <laughs> at the time so i left the hospital and i was diagnosed with cancer about two weeks later oh, man. which was really rubbish um so I ended up having having a tumour removed and then having to have uh, radiation or radioactive therapy for the type of cancer I had. Um, the actual 
the actual cancer itself, the surgery, the treatment, not as horrific as some of the stories that you you hear when you think of people that have been through through cancer treatment. So so physically, I bounced back really quickly from that. Mm. But it was quite a um, it was it was a bit of a mind trip. Really, we had two small kids this business that I was about to come into that we had it all lined up for and we just had this unknown. We didn't know how I was going to be and whether mm. it was going to be okay and what the treatment looked like. You know, reflecting now, it's, um, it, we came through it or I came through it and our family came through it and honestly the best possible way that oh, it could have, could have rolled out. Um, so I'm really healthy and I'm cancer free and that's all good. But it did, really change our plans and we had to we had to figure out how to how to add that into the mix it became another thing that we had to manage as well mm. so Real um, stretching emotionally and oh totally for sure and, and it's that unknown piece once you actually know and once i had a plan it was fine you know i can i can execute a plan so yeah that bit became fine um so it was that early days where it was yeah, I didn't didn't know what was going to happen or what was needed or how the treatment was going to go. Um, and that was really taxing for our family. And that was probably one of those moments when you realise the importance of having really good people in your business yep. to be able to pick up that slack because the business had been so reliant on Shane mm. and now I needed Shane. And then I wasn't there to be in the business as well. So we needed um, we needed good people. And we are very fortunate that we have very good people in our business. Mm. So yeah, so the um, so the cancer side of things, it it was a bit of a wake up call, and you do, um, kind of check your priorities a little bit at that point when you sit there and think, am I spending my time in the right places? Because mm. you only have so much of it, right? <laughs> mm. Um, and I think for me there are people in my family that would have liked to have seen that I slowed down as a result of going through the cancer scare. I think the reality for our for our family though is that we just do more now. It's like why would we miss an opportunity? Mm, interesting, so, yeah. Yeah. You can't you know, people take very different takes on it. But if anything, I think our life's amped up. So we've we've grown this massive business. We've got these amazing kids we do we take every opportunity it's very rare we all say no to anything because it's like well, why wouldn't you why it took you it, yeah, it from 50 to an extra 200 yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> wow that's thank you for sharing that because that's tough and i think it shows your absolute resilience <laughs> for sure and i yeah it's a, it's pretty cool when you get to say like if you're into tech as a company, you're like, you're a leader. As <laughs> mm. someone who understands. And I think you've really got the ability to connect. And Yeah, I think um, it's it's interesting too because it's not, it wasn't necessarily something that we, we shared widely. It was just mm. another thing that was kind of going on at the time. Yeah. Um, and, but now as I reflect, I, I'm happy to share it. When you're in the thick of it, you're kind of so focused on just yeah. getting through it. Um, but yeah, it does give you a bit more, I guess, a bit more empathy and a bit more perspective on um, 
all the things that happen outside of the workplace that factor into the way people are when they are at work. Mm. And one of the things we talk about at work is, um, you know, we care about the whole person, not just the person that they are for eight hours of a day when they're doing our role mm. for us. And so if we can if we can help the whole person, then not just are they having a better experience at work, but hopefully they're having a better experience outside of work as well. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. I have some questions around CivTech and the whole industry, really. Sure. Of understanding, like, wh- when you have a cl- um, like an opportunity, it's generally, is it like contracting where you have to compete for, like, an opportunity to supply a certain area? Yeah, sure. So um, it... So it's it's mixed, right? Yeah. So we have some projects that we tender for and they might go out um, for tender and there'll be lots of people that will tender for them. Mm. Um, then we have negotiated works, which is where we already have a relationship with the client and they'll yeah. say, there's a piece of work we want to do. Can you do it? And we'll, we'll figure out how mm. we're going to do it and how much it's going to cost. And then we have long-term contracts as well. So mm. we have con- um, contracted relationships with some clients that will go for, for a number of years and we might have a schedule of rates or a scope of works that we work to to deliver that work. So it's a bit of a combination depending on the work and the region and mm, the Yeah, yeah. Because I'm trying to understand how to, like, for a company like Civtech, which has done really well, how do you make sure you can compete just on price? Or is it that you guys are just really we don't, good? We don't. No. Oh. We, we, make a, we don't compete on price because actually – if someone is hiring us because we are the lowest price option, they're probably not a client that we want to work with. Ah. So what we are, um, price is always a consideration. Don't get me wrong. I'm not discounting yeah. it. Yeah. But um, what we are trying to compete on is value. And so that's more about what we bring to the table. How do we, how do we solve a problem? How do we treat our people? Do we want to, and, and just as much as people buy your service, you have to be really clear about whether you want to work with them. Mm. So I would hate to ever put my team in a situation where they are not safe, they are not valued, or, um, you know, they're not happy because they're doing really, really rubbish work. And and it's probably lowest price, so we're not making any money either. Yeah. Um, so when you start out, you – well, for us, when we started out, we were taking um, – a lot of work and we were just trying to make it happen and and you do make a lot of concessions but again once you figure out who you are what your value is what you're really good at you you can charge a premium for that mm. because it's worth it mm. it's actually worth it to be safe it's worth it to be good it's worth it to have good quality take an extra day and actually deliver the project really well to a high quality and then not have to go back and redo it in six months i mean mm. it's not yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Mm, but um, I think in our industry, that's become a lot more valued. It was something that um, had gotten really into that tender process where it was lowest conforming. Yeah. And um, as a society, that's not actually how we want to operate anymore, I don't think. It's mm. not how I want to operate. Yeah. I don't want to know that the guy that's – putting the water outside my house is getting paid minimum wage and is getting screwed by his employer, that doesn't make me want to hire people at all. So mm. so why would I do that with my team and why would I put them in a situation where that's the case? Mm. 
And I think our clients value that. They get it. Yeah. Because they're good humans as well, right? Yeah. Actually providing good value. Yeah. High quality. Yeah. In an environment where people want to work there. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, and, and the real, um, it can sound quite kind of airy-fairy and nice, you know, it's a nice social idea, but it's not a great business idea. Um, and that's, again, that's not the case. If you're investing in your people and you're retaining them, you're keeping knowledge. If you're building high-quality networks and then allowing the time for a high-quality network, you've actually got a high-quality network to, to use and to commission off and all the rest of it. Um, if you think about the fibre networks that people were reliant on over lockdown, if they'd been built in a really rubbish way, um, that experience would have been terrible for people over that time. And yet a large part of it kept the country afloat. Yep. So I think there's a lot to be proud of in there. And mm. yeah, and I don't, competing on price is not not where we want to play, mm. but we will compete on value any day. Mm, that's cool. That's cool. Mm. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share to our young professionals there who are listening? Sure. Um, I think I think one of the things that um, I mean we've talked about a lot communication mm. um, piece really important to me and I think if you can nail that communication piece and actually um, having some empathy and those soft skills that go with person to person interaction there is so much to be said for it it's very hard to quantify it's hard to demonstrate in a CV um, it's hard to sell when you're early in your career but that's the stuff that makes you a standout and yeah. people notice mm. um, and it yeah opportunity abounds off that um, I think the other thing is just enjoy the ride don't get too caught up in um, being perfect at everything all the time actually enjoy the ride take the opportunity and look and learn like have the time to know what's going on, learn from it, fix it if it wasn't quite right, but but enjoy the ride because, you know, you can't do it again. <laughs> yeah, mm, that's good. <laughs> you'll never, I don't think you'll ever kick yourself for participating in something, but you might kick yourself if you don't take the opportunity or if you don't give, give it your all. Or, yeah. yeah. Sounds really cliche, but enjoy the ride, communicate mm. well. <laughs> awesome. oh, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast a real rich conversation and awesome inspiring story no like, worries yeah it's um it's quite a different way to tell the story i talk yeah. about civtech a lot these days but not so much all the early stuff and reflecting back on um that time at uni and that early part of my career it, it's not easy it wasn't an easy time because you're learning so much so fast but when I look back I look back at with such fondness such amazing people mm. amazing experiences and yeah I wouldn't change it for the world oh thank you so much you're welcome thank you Renee for this honest and inspiring conversation it was a pleasure to have you on the show what was really exciting was that a month after we recorded this episode, CivTech won the overall Waikato Business Awards from the Chamber of Commerce. A well-deserved achievement, recognising the immense effort Renee, Shane and the entire CivTech team have put in. If you found this conversation helpful in any way, 
and know someone who would really benefit from hearing this, please share it around. And remember to leave a rating and review so others can also find the podcast. I'd like to thank Cold Room from Auckland, New Zealand for letting us have their music in the podcast. If you like what you hear, check them out on Spotify. That is Cold Room is one word. Next week, we have the final episode of season one of The Story Hub. Far out, this has gone quick. And for the final episode, we have Andrew Nickel, the founder and chief co-worker of Agogi, a recruitment business that uses AI to match people with the jobs they love. We hear about Andy's journey rising rapidly in the courier industry after dropping out of high school. And we also touch on how to be decisive in this world of ever-growing complexity. It is an episode you're not going to want to miss. And he gives so many great practical tips to grow and enjoy your journey as a student and young professional, no matter the industry you're in. I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you next week. Until then, haere rā. <laughs>